scripture reading is from the book of Philippians 2, 1 through 13. Philippians 2, 1 through 13. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I, I really didn't plan on anybody having a birthday, but just in case, I figured I would throw it out there. Because if you had a birthday and I brought balloons and I didn't mention you, then I would feel awkward. So, got that out of the way. Look at that. All right, let me get set up. Can you hear me all right? Might even be able to use this mic this week. Thank you, Bill for reading that. Thank you, Dan and team. Those songs were perfect this morning. Wow, I love that. You guys can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5.
We are going to be Ephesians chapter 5. We're in that section today that most of us are very familiar with. Uh, dealing with the relationship between the husband and the wife. The um, love and submission passage in Ephesians. Um, why don't we open up in prayer, and we're going to get into it. God, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us. We thank you for your love for us, for everything that you've been opening up to our minds and our hearts in the book of Ephesians. And I pray to, today um, that you would do that again. I pray that you would just continue to teach us something about yourself, about your nature, and how you want to work through us as you show us in this book, God. We love you. We just want to learn how to love you more, God. And that's what we pray this morning for this whole body, that we would be able to learn how to love you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so through the book of Ephesians, I have been using the example of balloons the entire time. Uh, the idea of a life that is raised with Christ, the example of a balloon being that um, the balloon by itself uh, has no ability to, to get off the ground in its nature. And I'm sorry for those of you who have been here if it's repetition. But this is the image that I want to carry all the way through. By itself, it has no ability to get off the ground. But the nature of helium placed inside that balloon raises that balloon up. It gives it all the benefits, the characteristics, and uh, the, uh, the power of the helium is placed inside that balloon. And that's the imagery as we go through the book of Ephesians. Now, we've been raised with Christ, not by our merit, not by anything that we've done. And because we have, now all these character traits that it lists in the second half of Ephesians, we've been going through the, the description of what a life that is raised with Christ looks like. Well, it's not because of the shell, the flesh, so to speak, the balloon. It's because of the nature that has raised that, that life up. And I want to take that into this passage here today. Now, we're talking about um, wife's submission and husband's love. And this morning, I wake up and I had two red balloons laying on the ground. And the helium was no longer raising these balloons up. That doesn't do too much for my imagery. So, uh, what do I have? Well, I have a wonderful wife who ran down to the store, and just pulled in with two new red balloons. So, my job of loving is a lot easier than some of you might be, because I have a wonderful woman. But, you know, for the rest of you, <laughs> grovel. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> as we come... <laughs> I'm terrible. As we, as we come uh, to this passage this morning, we have heard... I'm, I'm sure every one of us have heard countless examples, countless illustrations on um, what it looks like for the wife to submit and for the husband to love. Um, so much so that as you know that we're turning to this passage, as you open up to this passage in Ephesians, which by the way, I better bring my Bible over here. Um, I'm in Galatians, you know, so that's part of the problem. But as you open up your, your Bible, uh, 5 verse 22 is where you're starting. 
But um, many of you are so familiar with this uh, that when you turn to this passage, even you have you start settling in your seat of all the things that you've heard and wives, you might even get a little bit tense. Because when you know what your roles are, you know where things fit, men and women, um, and it's not, it's not always an easy thing to go through no matter what. Uh, there has been countless resources, countless research that has been done, beautiful illustrations um, tying this back to um, the original intent um, of how God had created the roles to be uh, one of the best sources being the Love and Respect series. I know we've gone through it as a church and small group. Some of us have gone through that. And there's some amazing things that he goes through in that series to compare just the difference between a pink and a blue mind of, of, of how a woman thinks and how a man thinks and how God has designed this um, to fit together so perfectly uh, with love and respect with what each needs to make the perfect picture. Um, and so we, we hear all these things, we know all these things we have in our mind, and I'm going to be honest, uh, when I was studying for this, uh, it, there's a temptation to fall back into what you know and, and to try to figure out how can I, as a preacher, add an extra flair to it. <laughs> I'm just being honest. How, how can I... How can I pull out something that's never been said um, on this passage. But re- what I, re- I really kept praying is that, okay, God, when you, when you put this here, you put this for a purpose. And sometimes we, we take the book of Ephesians, like we do a lot of other books, and we, we subdivide them into different, um, different sections, small little gold nuggets. Um, and this husbands and wife is, we almost treat it like the book of Proverbs, like it's, like it's separate um, encouraging phrases on, on how the formula works for a husband and wife. And we kind of distinctly separate it from the rest of the book. But if there's anything that we've been following through the book of Ephesians, it's that Paul was laying out one distinct picture of a life that is raised with Christ. And everything that we've set up to this point is proving that, that the life that is raised with Christ should be Christ living in you. It shouldn't be anything that we put on and we try to mimic or, or, or copy in the life of Christ. It is the life of Christ. This balloon is not trying to be like helium. It is raised because helium in it and no other reason. So as I was, I was trying to think through this, I kept saying, okay, God, how does this tie in to the rest of it? And I kept reverting back to um, images and... and uh, studies and, and sermons, whatever it might be that I've, that I've heard on the topic, that, that describe to us how beautiful this formula is. And the thing is that I want to make clear to you is that's because this is the formula of God for marriage and for relationships. And it is beautiful because of that. And it does fit together perfectly because of that. But what's important is that we understand not only that this formula of love and respect does work, but that we understand why it works. And that, that's really the key to understanding how this works in the Ephesians. Um, a biologist, a biologist has the ability to study the intricacy of the human body. 
and uh, he could study it all the way down to the single cell. He, he can study in a point that it can lead him to an understanding of how each mechanism marvelously works and fits together um, for its own purpose. And he could, he could even take that study and he could teach others uh, and to lead them in, in awe and reverence of the human body. Uh, but what he cannot do in his studies, what his studies cannot lead him to, is the ability to duplicate that intricacy. He cannot recreate it. And th this drives secular scientists nuts. Because we cannot recreate the human body. We can study it. We can marvel at it. As Christians, we, the human body can bring us to awe and respect of God's perfect design, but we cannot make it again. We cannot mimic it. Oh, sorry, I mean, we can mimic it. We can create things that resemble human form, but here's the thing. We cannot bring it to life. You get what I'm saying? When we come to the book of Ephesians, then, we have to see that this perfect formula for marriage and for relationships, uh, we can dissect it in every way. Uh, theologically, we can go back to the Greek text and see what was written. We can look at, at the biology of man and woman and and the chemistry in their brains, and, and we can come up with some remarkable things of how God made this to work. But the thing is this. This can bring us to a point where we can say, wow, God, you, you truly designed this to work. God, this is how you designed marriage to be, left in awe and respect, but we need to be careful because we can marvel at God's design so much that we try to duplicate it. We can marvel at God's design so much that we take what is written here about what a husband and a wife are supposed to do, what they're supposed to look like, that we try to make it work without him. But the thing is, we cannot bring it to life without him. It is Christ who wills to do within you. And that's, that is Ephesians. That is what we've been going over for the last four or five weeks. Um, that is Ephesians. It is Christ in you that produces the life. And it's no different with these relationships. So, going into Ephesians. Continuing on. Not altering our perspective. Once again, I have a temptation to want to bring in all these things um, and how this fits together. But the thing is, I could actually do a great disservice if I give you too much information on what it's supposed to look like because the truth is it's more important how it comes together than what it looks like. So when we come to this with the big perspective that all of this should be a description of, the, of a life raised with Christ, we don't then preach that this is a sort of uh, erector set. You remember those things? <laughs> I shouldn't remember those things. My grandparents had an erector set, and it's enough to drive you nuts. Um, we don't come to Ephesians 5 uh, as though it's some sort of an erector set that if you put it together correctly, which, by the way, was impossible, if you put it together correctly, it will work correctly. The woman, how do I submit to my husband to get the most out of him? <laughs> how, do I, how do I submit to him so that he's going to do what I asked him to do? Um, 
We come to the text in Ephesians now, and we are, we are looking for the characteristics of Christ. And fascinatingly, here's the thing. The role of the wife, namely submission, the role of the husband, unconditional sacrificial love, the role of the child, obedience, all of these things mentioned in this passage, well, all of them, these are characteristics of the life of Christ as he exhibited on earth. These are characteristics of the life of Christ manifested on earth. So turn to Philippians chapter 2, passage that Bill read. Start in verse 5, 2 verse 5. Have this mindset in you. Different versions, uh, this attitude, this mind in you, this mind among you. The idea in the Greek is that that it is a state of mind. Um, Have this mindset in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is interesting here. The mindset in you, NASB says, which was also in Christ Jesus. I was reading ESV, which actually says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, is actually what the ESV says. Um, And it's interesting, those seem to be two contrasting statements. One says, which was in Christ Jesus. One says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Those don't seem to be the same. Um, They really took the Greek text and they just, um, they split a different direction because in the Greek here, it does not, actually mention a tense. The actual literal statement is, have this mindset in you the same as in Christ Jesus. So the NASB takes it and says the same that was, and the ESV says the same mind as Christ. I personally like the way that the ESV went with this because it is what lines up with what the rest of the passage is talking about. Have this mindset in you the same as in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Stop there. For now, women, so submit to your husbands, Ephesians says, as unto the Lord. And this is the question you come with to try to figure out how that fits into your life. Why do I have to submit to him? Is it that he is above me? Is he over me? Doesn't God want an equal relationship? And you say, yes, I know that God says to submit, but you don't know my husband. Whatever it might be. Everybody has a different situation here. But I want you to think of this. Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. The point here, in the Greek, equality with God literally means sameness. He did not regard that, that his sameness and authority and power with God the Father as, as a thing to be taken hold of. It didn't mean anything to him when he considered the greater picture. Because submission usurped equality for the sake of God's greater purpose. And that's the biggest thing when we look at the nature of Christ. Submission 
usurped equality for the sake of God's greater purpose. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Oftentimes we look at this idea that he emptied himself, um, and it's often described as, as power under submission. It's the power of God under submission. I would take it a step further, and I would say that, that this idea of God, of Christ emptying himself, describes power through submission. What happened when he emptied himself? Did he lay aside his deity? No. Well, we know that can't happen because God can't change. So if God can't change, he can't ungod himself. He can't get rid of his deity or else then he has changed. Some say that his deity was simply veiled in flesh, therefore allowing him full availability to exert his authority and power in such as the winds and the waves and his other miracles. But if that is the case, then I have to still ask, what did he empty himself of? I think it's an important distinction that Christ Jesus laid aside his independent right to his power. He laid aside his independence, his independent right to exercise his deity power, thus placing himself in submission to his co-equal person of the Godhead. I think this tells us a whole lot. I want you to think through the life of Jesus. Think of all the signs of deity that Jesus exercised while he was on earth. All the miracles that he performed. You have to ask yourself, the miracles that he performed, did he perform them out of his own independent power? Or was his life so fully submitted to the Father that the full power of the deity continuously flowed through him? It's an interesting distinction. That he could be so fully submitted that the full power of God flowed through him continuously, without a hiccup. He was fully God, and he was fully man. In every way, he had a human body who exemplified perfect submission. Power through submission. And I'm not saying, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that that the power of God will ever flow through another individual in the same way that it did through Christ. We know, obviously, this was a different scenario that God was using where it was himself. But you have to ask the question, did he make it through uh, his trial in the desert when his weak earthly flesh cried out for mercy? Did he pass through that out of his godly determination Or did he pass through out of perfect submission to his Father? And where it's most importantly, where it most importantly comes into play in the Garden of Gethsemane when he begged for another possible way. After everything planned in eternity passed in the Godhead, they knew the plan. His flesh was weak and his flesh said, God, if there's any other way, please let me take any other way. And he would have given up, except for what? Submission. Perfect submission to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. He didn't give up his his desire. He didn't give up his heart. He just submitted it, no matter what. That's power through submission. 
See, the life of Christ perfectly exemplifies the act of an equal submitting himself under another so that the power of God might be accomplished and God might be glorified through him. That is the life of Christ, the character of submission. But you, you as a wife, you say, now I'm in a whole different scenario because I live with this guy and he is not God. <laughs> Something happens when you live that close to a person, you start to see their flesh rubbing against you pretty good. And you say, I don't know how the power of God can be accomplished through me submitting to my husband. He doesn't even read the Bible. Maybe. He's, he's not in the word of God. I am. Or maybe that's not your husband. You still see what he does. You still see his, his flares of the flesh popping up. Now, how could me submitting to this man really do greater work? What can he do that I can't? You really have to ask yourself, at this point, is it the action of submission that you are expecting to bring the results? Or, listen to me, here's the key. Or is it simply the fact that you are setting the submissive nature of Christ free to do what he wants to do in your husband's heart? Is it the submission, the act of submission that does the work? Or is it the fact that you're releasing Christ to do what he wants to do? It is Christ's character of submission that you're supposed to be letting live through you. Now, wives, you get a break for a little bit. Because husbands, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Such a simple statement that carries with it so much more. Self-sacrificing love? You mean as in the very nature of Christ? Philippians 2, 7-8, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, which in the Greek literally is bondslave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is ultimate humiliation. Husbands, to model the life of Christ means that you are willing to endure ultimate humiliation for the sake of love. But today, we don't really need to go there, because there's a greater point that I want to make in all of this today. And if you've been tracking me with me, you've already picked up on it. The character role of the husband and the character role of the wife are both different aspects of the character of Christ. It's not different. Sometimes we act as, okay, the wife is supposed to submit, but she's copying you know, uh, how the church submits to Christ. Okay, that's what Ephesians says here. Submit to, to the Lord. But what we can miss is that submission and sacrificial love are the character of Christ. So, we come back to our picture, the imagery of Ephesians, of the balloon. Let me give you a, 
a short, concise summary statement of the book of Ephesians as best as I can. If you want to write it down, you can try. <laughs> but summary of Ephesians, as best as I can put it, is that we have been raised with Christ. That is not by merit of our own fleshly nature, but the nature of Christ himself, namely his goodness, his power, his love, and his light have been placed within us, thereby raising us up to partake in the benefits of his nature, his perspective, and his inheritance. That sums up the majority of it. By the nature of Christ, his goodness, his power, his love, his light placed within us. That's what we've been going through. Therefore, raising us up to partake in the benefits of his nature, his perspective, and his inheritance. Just as a balloon is raised by the nature of helium and not by its own nature. Now, all the way through, we've been reiterating that all of the good deeds that come from us must be the nature of Christ living in us, rather than us attempting to mimic his nature. Otherwise, our deeds will be devoid of Christ's power. So now when we come to relationships, primarily husband and wife, why would we expect it to be any different? Husbands and wives, you have been raised with Christ. Therefore, the power of Christ's characteristics will always raise you above the laws of gravity, so to speak. But here's the thing. It does not necessarily mean that it will keep you off the ground. Let me explain what I mean by this. This is what relationship, this is what relationship is intended to look like between a husband and a wife, primarily husband and wife. But you take this and you apply it to all relationships. This is how it's designed to look like. When we are raised with Christ, we are together. We are close. We are united. <clears throat> but then an argument happens in the home. And you are each reminded very distinctly that there is still a flesh attached to each of you. It's very much a part of you still. So I think some of the best marriage advice that Gabby and I ever received um, <clears throat> was that dealing with the idea of an argument, well, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. He, you would say 99% of the time, there is always two people at fault in an argument to different degrees. You might have somebody, maybe the husband is 80% at fault and the wife is 20. It might even be 90-10. But somebody's going to be falling short of the description of God's love in 1 Corinthians. And uh, some of the best advice we got was keep a card of that love passage in you. Love is patient. Love is kind. And whenever you get in an argument, you pull away for a second, you read through that and say, God, which part did I mess up at? Because it's going to be something. Now the design is that man sacrificially loves his wife and that the wife shows respect and submission to her husband. But here's what happens. Man gets home from work. He's not showing much love, which brings offense 
She doesn't feel loved. And so she says, he's not, I don't, I don't feel loved by him. And so she decides to act in a way that's not patient. Impatience takes over. And he says, well, what she said to me, that was so disrespectful. She's not showing me respect. That was rude. And so he acts in a way out of his flesh. And then she says, well, this isn't the first time he's done this. You know, this is, this, is, this is how he's been for months now. And so she starts to judge him according to past behavior. And he says, you know what? I've had a hard day at work, and I don't, I don't need to deal with this right now. And he starts, character of self-seeking, thinking about his own interest above her, and now what's happened? Now, we're, we're not together. And you could keep carrying this out, because here's the deal. The nature of Christ raises us up together. And the flesh blocks it. And every decision that we make in the flesh puts a blocker on the power of Christ. That's that's the picture. Every decision that we make in the flesh puts a blocker on Christ. Think about the triggers you sit there and you try. How, how, how much resistance do you have in your flesh? What's your breaking point? What's your trigger? You know, patience, I'm patient, I'm patient. Love, patience, that's it. Okay, that's too far. I cannot take any more of that. I, I don't deserve this, and God would, God would understand. <laughs> we act as though we're justified, and so we put a blocker down. With every decision of the flesh, We block Christ's nature from living and acting within us. See, once again, the love of Christ is not a formula. Formulas Formulas don't have power, but the character of Christ, that has power. And Christ is wanting to live his life through you. He's wanting to live his life through you. Think about all of your relationships. Friends, the power of Christ as we've been going through in Ephesians, is longing and will break out from your flesh to do what he wants to do if you let him. Christ's nature of conduct will flow out of you if you let it. Christ's light will shine out from the walls of your flesh into the darkness if you let it. And so now, wives, Christ nature of submission will flow out of you to your husband if you let him. Husband's Christ nature of unconditional, self-sacrificing love will flow out of you to your wife if you let him. Children, sons, daughters, Christ's nature of obedience will flow out from you if you let it. So yes, this changes the formula. Because now it changes the husband's perspective to, God, I, I need your love to be poured out on, your, on my wife through you. I need your love to be poured out on my wife through me. What am I doing to block your love? The wife God, you led with the perfect model of power through submission. 
God, I need your character of submission to reach to the heart of my husband through me. What am I doing to block that? What am I doing to hinder your character, God? That's, that's the change of the formula right there. And so Christ says, okay, well, husband, you, uh, you really were seeking yourself a bit there. Let's, let's get that out of the way. That's not me. And uh, wife, you were keeping record of past wrongs, and that's not my love. And if it's not my love, let's let go of it. And he says, husband, now, do you think you were exhibiting a little bit of pride when you were insulted? Now, is your pride important? That's not me. Let's let go of the pride. Wife, think you're a little bit easy, easily provoked? My love is patient. My love is not easily provoked. Let's let go of that. You let go of the flesh. God does the raising. You let go of the flesh, and you will be united. The theme of the entire nature of Christ was power through submission. The theme of the entire book of Ephesians for the life of the believer is power through submission. Here's the deal. The question is, is he worthy of your submission? Have you given him that authority to rule those areas of your life? I'm sure you're familiar, familiar with how the passage in Philippians 2 ends. It says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our God. Friends, every knee will bow to his authority one day. Whether now in willing, joyful submission or in the future when there's no other option available. I want to take you on a short closing journey. Because there's a similar passage here. The book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now what's going on here? What is this scroll? If you read on, the scroll, as it's opened, among many other things, contains the judgments on the earth, the final judgments. 
So the question is, who is worthy? Who is worthy to be able to take this scroll? Well, who, is, who would be worthy to be able to pronounce judgment on the earth? Let me give you a short story of the Bible. Chapter 1. The eternally preexistent God created the heavenly host with their abode. He created them with beauty and with purpose. But the centerpiece of the creation, namely Lucifer, decided that he could not handle submitting himself under the authority of the Godhead. His rebellion took one-third of the heavenly hosts. Chapter 2. God created the earth and the universe with mankind as the centerpiece. He created with beauty and purpose. He created mankind for relationship and love, and he placed mankind in charge of the stewardship of the earth. He essentially gave mankind the title deed of the earth to look after it and to take, at, take care of it. But when deceived, mankind likewise decided that they could not handle submitting themselves under the authority of the Godhead. In this decision, they essentially surrendered the title deed of the earth over to Satan and themselves with it. Chapter 3, fast forward a few thousand years. By decision made in the beginning, the second person of the Godhead empties himself of his independence and successfully lives his life in its entirety, submitting himself to the Father, to humiliation, unto death, even the death on the cross. In Jewish culture, if you went bankrupt, you didn't have money to pay for your house, you didn't just lose your house like we would today, uh, you went with the house. That was Jewish culture. Pretty strict. You go bankrupt and you lose your house, you go with it to a lifetime of slavery. Servanthood to the new owner that you are forever indebted to. Unless the kinsman redeemer would come. Now the kinsman redeemer was the only one who could buy back what was lost. But to do so, he had to be first proven worthy in his bloodline inheritance. And second, he had to be able to pay the purchase price for the property and all that came with it. That's the concept of the kinsman redeemer, a relative that could come in, bloodline inheritance, and buy it back. But if he could, the kinsman redeemer could then march forward with title deed in hand and proclaim, this estate and all those who live in it belong to me because I am both the legal inheritor and because I paid the purchase price to buy it back. So the scene in Revelation. He's weeping because there's nobody worthy to open the scroll, the title deed to the earth, essentially is what we're looking at here because it's the one that would be worthy would be the one who created the earth, who bought the earth, who was the inheritor of the earth. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, 
with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was on the throne. And they sang a new song, skipping down, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is our God. That is why he is worthy. He created. He was the bloodline inheritance. And he paid the price even unto his life and humiliation. He is worthy to rule the earth. He is worthy to rule the nations. Is he worthy to rule over your heart? Are you willing to submit yourself under his authority to push your flesh aside and to live his life through you? In your words, in your actions, in your relationships. There's a video that Dan played as you guys were coming in this morning. Some of you might have seen it and some of you might not have. Of um, a song that was sang at the Sing conference that some of us got to go to back in Tennessee. I want to play this song with the words on the screen. And I want you guys just to have a time of reflection as we think of what we have covered up to this point in the book of Ephesians. And I want you to think, God, what am I allowing you to do in my life? So if we can play that, I'm going to give you guys some time before we close today. Yeah. 
Cause I'm not intended to dwell 